0: Hey, this is John Torrey, co-host of The Culture Classroom, and I just want to tell you a little bit about what to expect with Season 3 coming up. First of all, Coach Weaver and I have been so grateful for the response from Season 1 and Season 2, and this thing is only growing and getting momentum, and there's a lot more we can talk about when it comes to culture. Joining us in the classroom throughout this season, Season 3, are going to be people like Coach Adam Matheson, who's doing amazing things with the left-coast offense in Washington. And then there's also going to be Coach Kurt Hines, who, if you aren't familiar with Coach Hines, go find him on Twitter. He posts things daily that talk about how you can bring your program to a championship level and build people up along the way. And don't miss Brian Kite, who will be joining us this season, where we're going to talk about E plus R equals O, your response to an event equals the outcome. Uh, All of this coming up on season three of The Culture Classroom. It's going to be bigger and better.
1: GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs. Our next guest in the classroom today will be the head football coach at Coronado High School. That's Coach Kurt Hines. Now, most of you might know Coach Hines from his presence on social media uh, with Instagram and Twitter and his, ba- his daily posts that he has. But the most important thing about Coach Kurt Hines is he understands the power of why. So today he's going to sit down with us and talk about his why and why he does what he does in the classroom and on the football field. And also, have some challenging words for coaches who might be struggling with their why. Now, let's welcome Coach Kurt Hines to today's classroom. Big topic for today is knowing knowing your why. I love it. I love it. So, Kurt, let's uh, let's start out. Let's. You've been coaching for how long?
0: I'm uh, going on my 23rd year of coaching high school football.
1: Okay, talk a little bit about how that journey started, and maybe why why you went into coaching versus any other profession.
0: Yeah, so so my journey started actually uh, when I was a. A college football player, one of my, I was an elementary education major, and one of my professors had approached me about volunteering, I need some service hours, and volunteering to coach a flag football special needs team. And, and prior to that, you know, I, I grew up playing football since second grade and, and loved everything about it, uh, but never, never even gave a thought of wanting to be a, a coach. And I told her I'd be happy to uh, help out. You know, I, I had a passion for working with children with special needs. Um, and it was actually my first practice with, with a special needs team where there was a young girl with Down syndrome who caught a ball. And I often say it was not a long pass. It probably was like 5 yards separation, underhand pass to her. And she caught the ball, and her eyes lit up like she had just won the Super Bowl. And that was the first time I remember – Having that aha moment of, even though I, I knew I was going into education, thinking to myself, that's what I want to do. I, I want to coach football. So, what happened was I uh, graduated college, taught for four years at, uh, at one elementary school, and really was just, you know, freshly married, 22 years old, had two young children really early. Uh, you know, we have four now, but um, so the first four years I taught, just, just taught. And then I I changed schools and went to a town that uh, had a fairly large high school uh, for New Hampshire, reached out to the head coach, and I said, listen, I'm, I'm interested in helping out in the program in any capacity that you'll have me. wasn't looking for a paid position. And it's funny, I met with the head coach, and he came with their team manager, who happened to be a young man with Down syndrome that just kind of sat there the whole time, didn't really contribute much. But I thought that was a god thing for me where the young girl that really first gave me that that thought of wanting to coach who had Down syndrome, now I'm sitting in a meeting with a coach. And uh, it just so happened where he had a head coaching position open for his freshman program. Uh, It was kind of baptism by fire where, you know, as a player, I I knew a lot for the positions I played, center and defensive end and tight end in college. Um, But as a coach, there was a lot I didn't know. Still, still don't know. But uh, it just – so I started as a freshman coach for eight years. and At, at the end of every season, he would – you know, the head coach would say to me, hey, come on up to varsity. And I would always, you know, respectfully de- decline and say, I, I like what I'm doing here. You know, so I didn't have aspirations of, of even being a varsity coach, let alone a head coach, and until I had uh, gone to a different school, um, a head coach of the town we lived in, asked me to coach out of staff. And uh, not a bad man, but I uh, completely disagreed with everything he did as far as coaching young men. Not even, not even the ex's know, but just the way he treated the young men. I shouldn't say not that man. We, we just had different philosophies of, of what football should be. So um, I, I was there and in the first two weeks. I said to my wife, "I'm done. I, I'm going to honor my commitment, see out the year, but I'm done coaching." And she had just started a job at a brand new high school as a secretary. And she said, Hey, they're looking for a head coach for the varsity team. And I said, Joe, I-, I love you. You're my best friend, biggest supporter, but I- I'm not a varsity head coach material. And she said, she called my bluff. She said, Hey, listen, you're always talking about, you know, fighting for your dream and doing the impossible, not the impossible, but you know, reaching for things. So I said, fine, I'll apply for it. And, uh, I applied for for my first head coaching job and got it, and uh, that that kind of started a a year of now going on my 23rd year of coaching high school football. It's amazing. You know, in the culture classroom, we talk a lot about culture and core values and mottos and those kind of things, building relationships, Um, but really what culture is to me is not just what you are and what you stand for, it's also who you are, and Sounds like that's kind of shaped your coaching philosophy, at least what you wanted to be when you became the guy somewhere. So, to take that experience that you learned as a freshman coach, and then also to push pause. And so many of us are worried about where we're going next that we overlook where we are now. And so, for you to be able to uh, say, Hey, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be ready to be a head coach, or uh, I don't know if I want to move up to the high school level. I think that says a lot about your maturity and uh, and where you really wanted to go, and you were still finding out about yourself, it sounded like. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I, I laugh at you saying, you know, my maturity, because I, I don't know if people use my name and maturity in the same sentence often. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. When I applied for that head coaching job, and I'm not saying this to try to sound humble. It's 100% the truth. I... I was not the most qualified for that job by any stretch of the imagination, and, and I feel like I can say that with confidence. Um, and once again, not trying to sound humble, but my wife, working in the main office, she saw all the applications that came across her desk through the administration. So she was like, "Wow, this coach from here, this coach from here, this coach from from different successful high schools throughout the state, from out of state, the colleges, because um, Bedford, New Hampshire, where we were, was a is a very affluent community. It was a high-profile position. Um, but really, I, I think what sold sold my, me to, to, to the people I interviewed with was my passion for a platform. And, you know, I, I, I credit that to, you know, great parents, of course. Um, but Mike, Mike Beliveau, who uh, was the first gentleman I coached under, uh, he just... I was very, very fortunate. He knew the game of football, and I don't even think he, he, to this day, knows the difference between transformational and transactional coaches and really what that means, but he 100% is a transformational coach. He loved the young men he coached. I never once in my seven years or eight years coaching under him saw him take advantage of a young man or treat a stud player better than, than uh, a redheaded stepchild freshman that can't put his helmet on straight type thing. Um, so I, I was very fortunate to coach under a quality coach from the get-go and learned a lot from him. Um, and, I, and I'm a firm believer in life that, you know, if, if we're aware of our surroundings, we can learn from everyone. Um, I've also coached with and, and under guys that just do take advantage of young men and, and do – uh, use them and not empower them. So it's kind of been a process throughout the, my years of learning from great coaches and learning what not to do from some not-so-great coaches.
1: Right. And then I want to talk about the success that you've had a little bit. And I think this, this speaks to you, Kurt, is you know success follows when you define what inspires you. And then also yeah. it motivates you and fires you up because when you know your why, you know why you're going to work every day. And there's not of oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Here. You understand the importance of what you are going to do day in and day out, what drives you, what motivates you. Um, so I, I think that's a big big thing of why you've been successful uh, in your coaching journey, uh, why you can go from East Coast to West Coast and you're still competitive and you're still winning because you know you're the same person, you're the same coach because you understand the principles you stand for and you know your why of why you coach and why do you go to that school uh, and you coach and teach those young men every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's something that's, that's kind of been validated. I appreciate that. Over the years, it's just I, I'm a firm believer. So, so I teach elementary school. I've, I've taught first through fourth grade for 25 years now, and often still to this day, People, whether it's parents or players, will say to me, "Man, how do you do it?" You know, such in their minds, they see that you know, coaching high school football and teaching elementary school as two extreme opposites. And the longer I, I used to joke around and say, "Hey, the only difference is my high school players are just bigger," you know, mentally they're still young men and they're still goofy and all that. And the longer I coach, the more truth that is, and I, I don't mean that in a in a derogatory way at all. Um, but what I what I found is I'm a firm believer in if you know, and this, I, I believe this goes for all of us, if you know the people you are playing for or working for or the people in your family, if you know that they love you to the core um, with no ifs, ands, or buts, not, not because they're going to get something from you or it's going to benefit them or, or propel their career, but if they know that you truly love them, uh, that they'll, they'll do more for you and in, in return for themselves than, than anyone ever thought possible. I've had parents of the elementary school children that I've, I've taught come to me and, and say, oh, you've helped little Johnny or Susie or whatever it is learn to love to read or learn to love to do math or whatever. And, and, I, and I take great joy in that, and it, it's such a blessing. But this, the only secret, and I'm using the air quotes here, is I take about 10, 15 minutes every morning in my classroom to just sit on the floor with the kids and talk about life, get to know them. Um, and and that's something, once again, I, I took from a seventh-grade math teacher, and I hated math growing up, hated it, really bad at it. and uh, But I had a teacher, Mr. Nick, who uh, at the beginning of every class would sit on his desk, and I, I in my mind it was five, ten minutes. Maybe it was less, maybe it was a little longer. But he would just talk to us as students as – she was just friends, human beings, just not trying to be buddies with us. She was much older, but just getting to know us as people. And I remember in seventh grade thinking he cares about us, and that I never, I never did start or did excel in math, but I, but I worked harder that year for his class for him because I knew he cared about me. So I, I, think as a teacher and as a coach, it it goes back to my why. But if people truly know that you care about them, then that they'll work harder and do more than they would for someone that just wants to win rings or championships.
1: They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Coach, I think it's incredible. I mean, very few educators anymore want to talk about life outside the classroom. There's so much pressure on us to meet standards or to manage behavior or to get kids college ready. Those are kind of the buzz terms in education right now. Tell me a little bit about what is what are some of the changes that you've experienced in the last two decades of teaching and coaching? I, I think the biggest change my wife and I it's funny we were talking uh, about this just this weekend. I think the biggest change is parents. I really do. And you know we, the, the term helicopter parents has been used, I think regardless of where you coach in the United States. Uh, we used to joke around in Bedford, New Hampshire, that we didn't have helicopter parents. We had Black Hawk parents. The only difference was they were more expensive you know, <laughs> helicopters. Um, got it. I, 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 I think often it's a danger as teachers and parents as coaches. We often, and I really try to catch myself from saying this anymore, oh, these kids are nowadays these kids. and It's not the kids. I think so often it's the parents. And I, I've been blessed with, with great parents. Um, of the young men I coach and the kids I teach. But it's usually not little Johnny or Sally that cares about the trophy or starting or or this or that. It's, It's mom and dad that I think all too often, sometimes with the best of intentions, have them signed up for everything. You know, we have players that have personal quarterback coaches. They have personal footwork coaches, personal speed coaches, on top of everything else. And I think sometimes parents don't realize that they're taking the fun out of it for their kids. You know, I'm as competitive as the next guy, and I love winning, and I hate, with a passion, I hate losing, but we have to understand it's called a game for a reason. You know, and we want our young men to, we truly are going to practice what we preach. And if our goal is not just to win, but to, to win their hearts and help them be better human beings, cousins, fathers, whatever it is, we, we want to make the sons they are playing enjoyable for them. And I think sometimes the parents are the ones that get lost in the, the mix where, you know, in the past two years, I've had some studs that have been um, transferred to different schools. I had one that went down to IMG Academy. Um, great young man, you know, down in Florida. Great young man, and I love our program. I love our football program at Coronado High School, but we are a Division Four San Diego football program. And I'm not knocking us by saying that, but we're not a Division One program in San Diego. <clears throat> but it, his father sent him down to, to IMG Academy, and I think his father thought bigger, better, it would be fantastic for him. Well, he almost never saw the field. Almost never saw the field for, you know, $86,000 a year or whatever it was. And for us, he would have started both sides of the ball and had a full senior year of football. Um, and, and I don't know all the... the the secret workings behind the scenes for that family and it's not a knock really on the young man or the father but i think you know and that's not even a statement against transferring you know i think you gotta go where it's best for your young man um but coronado high school is a great high school with a great program as far as academics and athletics so i think to answer your question what's changed the most over the years is uh, as coaches and teachers we have to really help educate the parents in in the process of, you know, finding – hey, let, we're trying to help your sons and daughters find their why, their passion for playing, and let the parents – and I, I share this during our spring ball. I give a recruiting seminar, and I share with the parents, your number one job is not to be your child's best friend. Be their best parent. Don't coach them up on the way home. Don't get on them for other stuff – be their best parent. You know, if, and if you're going to push them, push them first in the classroom and let us push them on the field. Um, I, I think kids are the same. I, re, I really do. I, th- I think they're the same as, as when I played back in the, the 80s and early 90s. Uh, it's just somewhere. And we will be seeing it in, in, in the headlines in the news, you know, parents paying for their kids to get into college and stuff. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those young men and young women didn't even know their parents were doing that
1: yeah we had speaking on that talk about parents we had one uh recently uh come up to me it's like hey i want my kid to get go to some camps this summer i really want him to get coached up on, on some stuff that we're doing and i was just taken back and i was like what do you think he gets from us every day you know we're going to coach him right. to the best of our ability we don't have to have some specialist coach come in and tell you what you're doing or what that might not be the best for what our scheme is or what we're trying to teach you. And uh, for us, we're going to teach you more than just ball. We're going to teach you about values, some, some principles you can live by in your life. Uh, we're going to give you more than just ball talk. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. We call them lawnmower parents. They pave that way for them, you know, so we call them lawnmower parents too. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: you know, it, it's, it's funny coach, along those lines, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but some coach on Twitter uh, a week or two ago, had posted a picture of a sonogram. You know, my wife and I having our first baby and kind of a, hey, you know, just who's celebrating. And he, he posed a question. He said, what, what's some advice, not as a coach, but as a parent? And one of the things I had shared is, in addition to, you know, being there and loving them, laughing with them, and, and I put in bold, let them fail. You know, I, I think another thing that's changed over the years um, is, you know, somewhere along the line, society, whatever, someone, or too many people have looked upon failure as the opposite of success and not a part of it. You know, and I think that's one of the greatest things. My my father, God bless him, my, both, both my parents, I blame my father more or give him more credit. But when I was in eighth grade, I, I had gotten a, like a C minus or a D plus on a progress report. And my father and mother sat me down and they said, if you don't get this up to at least a C, you're not playing. It was in seventh grade. It was in seventh grade. They said you're not playing eighth grade football, and I don't know why I, I didn't believe them because I had never been empty threaders before. But that that C minus or B plus, whatever it was, ended up being an F. So fast forward to uh, late July, early August, before my eighth grade year of uh, school and football. I remember all my friends and I were talking about, hey, signups are coming up for football and stuff, and. Long story short, the day came and went, and my father never took me. And I didn't play football my eighth grade season. And, man, I, for a good three or four months, I thought I hated my father. I thought, how dare he take this from me, and how dare he, and all this stuff, he, he, he. And my father taught me a very valuable lesson, what again, both my parents, but about being a student-athlete. I don't even know if he used the term then. But the point was, you need to get take care of business if you're going to play football and play this game. So that taught me a really valuable lesson. And it wasn't blaming the teachers or the coaches or or anyone else. It was, hey, you take care of business. You know, get get your stuff squared away if you want to play this game of football. Um, And and in hindsight, it's one of the greatest things he did for me.
1: Yeah, that kind of – I say that happened to me maybe and not that extreme. Uh, But fourth grade for me – I had a very bad penmanship, very bad. And I didn't really care about it. Like, what? I, I'm just going to keep I writing. Well. I, I didn't care about my penmanship. We had to write a book report. And my dad was like, if you don't clean this up, I'm going to throw it away. And you're going to have to redo it. I was like, no, no, he's not. And I did it and it was sloppy. And he looked right at me at the kitchen table and he goes, I told you. And he crumbled it up and threw it away. I was like, oh, he right. goes, you're going to do it again. And you're going to do it right. And you're going to take your time. And I did it again. And I kind of halfway did it. So if the first time was like a three, this one was like a six. And I was like, all right. And he threw that one away. So now, to this day, my penmanship is based off of a fourth grade um, book book report that I had to do. But I failed in those two times. And, you know, I kind of called my dad in a bluff twice. I was like, he's not going to do it again. But so yeah. many times people feel they feel like they failed once. I was like, okay, now I'm just I'm trying. It's time for me to deserve successful. Well, you might fail seven times, eight times, nine times. I mean Edison and the light bulb. Come on now. So exactly, you know, failing failure, it's going to equal growth. But they got to be willing to understand that just because we fail, and that's just like with football practice. You know, we tell our guys all the time, I don't want you to be perfect in practice because we can't learn anything. If you're perfect in practice, I can't teach yeah. you anything. So I incur, I don't encourage them to fail or, or, or drop passes or run the wrong route or anything like that, but we're in a teaching mode instead of a yelling mode. Like, look, we're going to teach you, if, especially if you're a new receiver in our, and we throw the ball all over the place, that we're going to teach you, if you run the wrong route, we're going to educate you. Yes, you messed up. Now we're going to expect you to not mess up as bad or get it right. So... Uh, I think that goes into athletics. I think it goes into the classroom. And I definitely think it goes into book reports.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I I think also there's an African proverb that talks about how every father scars their son in some way. And uh, some cultures in Africa, it's a physical scar and it's painful and it's a ritual that's been tested for thousands of years. That's not really our culture here. But I definitely see... Uh, Coach Hines, your dad leaving his imprint on you. Coach Weaver, your dad leaving his imprint on you. Uh, I grew up on a farm in Iowa, and I don't ever hit snooze, ever. Like, I've never hit the snooze button in my life. A lot of times, a lot of mornings, I'm up. Even if it's just a minute or two before my alarm goes off, I get up naturally. And that goes back to on the farm, we had milk cows, and those cows had to be milked at certain times throughout the day. And it was my job to help with the morning milk before I got on the bus to ride to school. And there was no snooze button because it was my dad coming up the stairs and I wasn't going to like how it was going to go if I wasn't ready to get out to the barn uh, to help with those right. cows. And I hated growing up on a farm, but the older I get, the more I appreciate those lessons that get passed on to us. And I think about all the players that we impact today, all the kids that grow up without parents in their life or you know, from the from the mixed home, uh, you know, yours, mine, ours kind of thing. And it's like we have an opportunity as coaches and this goes back to the why, but we have an opportunity as coaches to really be that stable person in their life that they can see every day, that they can build a relationship with and trust. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, I want to ask you about this and, and Kurt, you're, you're all about setting a standard. So everything that, that you do is, is at a high level. Um, how do you set standards or values or, or core values and stuff like that? How do you set the standards for not only your classroom, but for your football team? Like what does that look like inside of Coronado football?
0: Great question. I, actually, I had I, I, an incident this morning. I, um, the short answer, in, in the, I guess I should say my short answer, because I, I think there are many different answers. The way I, I have found success through that is by example. Um, I I think one of the greatest things we can be as leaders, and I don't care if you are a first-year unpaid volunteer or a head coach that's been doing it for 22 years, whatever, um, we're all leaders, whether we realize or not, as coaches, someone in that team is looking up to us, um, whether they have a stable household or not. I think the best thing we can do is be, be vulnerable and be transparent to our players because sometimes, you know, as young men, I know I, I looked up to some of my coaches, or most of my coaches, but some of them, I, I put them on a pedestal and thought, man, they lived perfect lives, and they never had challenges or whatever, but when I started to have coaches that would cry in front of me, or would really show raw, true feelings and emotions, good, bad, and, and the ugly, um, I gained a greater respect, because I can relate to that. Um I, I had something I, I started to share with you guys, uh, something that happened to our, our family this weekend, and uh, I, actually, I, I won't, with respect to my family, it, it's a good thing, but I, I won't go into too many details, but I shared it with my team this morning, and, and they were kind of looking at me like, "Well, wow, I can't believe you're sharing this, and after I finished sharing the story, I said, why am I telling you guys this? And I love the answer, <laughs> one of my players that said, because you love us. And I thought, man, that's the best answer. I, I love when a player said that. I said, yes. I said, yes, I love you. I said, that's one of the reasons. I said, also because, and my point of the story for them was, everything we do comes to light. Sooner or later, good or bad, someone's going to find out somewhere. And I told them, I said, that, that's not a, hey, heed my warning. That's a, for you guys that are grinding every single day, and you're not going to get reps dispersed this first our first game or second game or third game, or maybe you're not going to be a starter until your senior year, sooner or later, everything you're doing is going to come to light. Um, I I think the way we set the standard is by, and it sounds like such a cliche, but by living it. You know, I I think the coaches that say, hey, you know, don't talk back, but then your players see you talking back to the officials. Or the coaches talk about, "Hey, working hard and, you know, everything you do, you grind or you push yourself. But the coaches, and I'm not knocking coaches that are 300-pound. Um, I, 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 I need to lose about 20 pounds myself. But I think as long as God gives us the ability, I think we need to model in everything we do. Is You know, practice what we preach is, I guess, the short answer of it. Okay. No, it's, it's so true because... Young people or just people in general, whether it's parents or other people, like teachers kind of live in a fishbowl in the community. Everybody sees what you do um, all the time and they expect, you know, no one wants to run into their teacher at at an adult establishment, you know, at 10 p.m. on a Friday night or whatever. You know, they should be home grading papers or doing other things. But um, so it's not a really fair standard, but it comes with the territory and it goes back to if you can't walk the talk or you can't do the things that you preach yourself, then that erodes trust. And in the end, it's not authentic. It won't make it work. So I think that's such a valid point for other people. And, it, and as times change, as long as your core values don't change or as long as your character doesn't change, you're going to be able to weather whatever change comes your way. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I don't think our players or parents – expect us to be perfect they just want us to be real you know I, I one of my coaches author uh, in high school and I ended up loving this coach and uh, we didn't really gain the greatest respect for him until hes my senior year he and his wife had a baby that was premature a teammate and I went to the hospital to go see him and the baby was now this is our line coach and I hate to stereotype all line coaches but this line coach was larger than life you know everything about him was massive Uh, and but I went to the hospital and I saw him holding this this premature baby in the palm of his hand like it was a youth sized football, just a tiny little thing. And I saw him cry, and I I remember like it was yesterday, I lost it, my teammate Chris lost it. But it was such a wow, like coach coach is showing us this raw emotion of him, he's showing this not this just this real hey, this is who I am. And I thought, man, I love this guy. Now, prior to that. He was the coach that was always yelling. Yeah, and the, guy, the guy, if he was 400 pounds, he was 550, I and mean, he was a large, large man. But he was always yelling, Heinz, you're too slow, or Hind, you're this, or Heinz. And I wasn't I wasn't lighting the world on fire as far as my speed. But I remember looking at him as he'd be yelling, and I would respect him, and he, he would have crushed me, so I would never talk back. But he, he couldn't bend over entire tie his shoes. He, he was so large. And I was like, man, <laughs> you know, but so... so He wasn't really practicing what he was preaching as far as that. But I always respected him because he was never a jerk to us. He knew football. Those are two important things. But it was that moment when he showed complete vulnerability and just showed who he was. I thought, man, I can relate to that. You know? So, yeah, I I, I think, you know, it's funny whether you're talking about building a culture or setting a standard, I, I think there's. The world is overpopulated with the the Facebook or Instagram or Twitter world. And what I mean by that is I think all too often, I'm guilty of it too, we post the good stuff. Mm. You know, hey, hey, my wife and I dressed up, let me take a picture. We feel good. and There's nothing wrong with that. I think what's wrong with it is we, and I'm including myself, all too often compare ourselves to everyone else's Instagram posts or the good stuff. And we don't see the authentic, hey, yeah, you know what? Behind closed doors, my, my family and I have breakdown moments. We have moments where there's tears and there's, there's heartache and there's, there's stress and all this stuff. And I think we have to realize that everyone's going through something. And, and yeah. I, had a preach, I I had a preacher one time, and I'll never forget it. He said there are three stages in everyone's life. You're just coming out of a storm. You're in the middle of one right now. Or get ready, you're about to enter into one. And I thought, man, that's such a morbid thought. Like, <laughs> that's, that's such a, like, damn, like that, that's not a pretty picture, Pastor, you know? And the more I realized, it's, it's so true. You know, it's just, uh, it's, everyone's going through something. And I think the more real we can be, the more authentic we can be, um, it, it, it helps our players and everyone else take their defenses down. You know, I, I just, uh, and I'll share this very briefly, just last week, I got a text. Every coach wants this text from a young man who wasn't yet a part of our program. He said, Coach, I want to be part of our program. I'm going to be a sophomore. I currently play baseball. I already have a, he had a full ride offer to University of Arizona as a incoming sophomore for baseball. Now, that's wow. not often that you have. To, yeah, so that's Jeez. not often. And he wasn't saying braggado- you know, it in a, in a bragging way. He went on to say, Nine months ago, my father played high school football and baseball in Pennsylvania, played for University of Arizona baseball, and played for the Padres for a few years. About nine months ago, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Three and a half months ago, passed away. Mm. I, want to, I want to play football. And I was like, wow, it was Like my mind was blown. So I started speaking with him. Long story short, I asked to meet with he and his mother. Now, the three of us sat down just this last Friday for about an hour, almost an hour and a half. Um, and it was a beautiful moment. There were tears from all three of us at a different point. Um, but he, he was a young man that just, uh, and, he, he, and I, I shared with he and his mom, I was, you guys have been through stuff that I have never been through. And it was so yeah. hard. Cause at, at certain points, I found myself sharing my passion for our program and my passion for what we're creating. But twice in the conversation, I had to stop myself and say, I'm preaching to the choir. You know, you you, you guys know what heart is. You guys know what heartbreak is. And so I, I'm thrilled. He came this morning to our workout. He did a tremendous job. And twice he looked at me and goes, Coach, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't get any of this. You know, it was after our workout and sprinting portion. We were doing some seven-on-seven seven stuff. And I looked at him and I said, Ryan, relax. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to get yeah. this yet. And, and it was great to see him just breathe. I said, you know what, it's going to be several weeks. Take your time. And and he's a natural athlete, and he's a great kid. Um, But there's so much more as much as, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, as much as I love football, it's not life. It's a part of our lives. It's a platform for us to change lives, to make someone's heartbreak a little bit less hard or to empower someone. And I'm I'm going to go back to what my pastor said, but to prepare people for the storm that's going to hit, to help them get through the one like this young man and his mom and sister are going through right now, or or for ourselves to to realize that at the end of every day, yeah, I think we've all read, you know, people say, you know, when my last day comes, when when I'm on my deathbed, I want to know I made a difference. Man, I I don't want to wait till the, the day I'm on my deathbed. I want to wake up, and I think we have the blessing as coaches and teachers every day. God's giving us a platform to say, hey, you, here you are. Here's 24 students. Go make a difference. Here's a 100 football players. Go make a difference. So we have that platform every day. Wow. You know, it's, it's funny just listening to you talk a little bit about the blessing that happened with your family on Friday. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And, you know, our mind always jumps to bad things like, oh, what adversity are we going to get now? That's just probably human nature. But, I remember one of my first years coaching, I was just married and I came back from, we got married over the 4th of July and I came back in our first seven on seven that we're doing, um, I'm coaching DBs and I'm just throwing some balls and we're warming up at 45 degree breaks and then 90 degree breaks and then 135 degree breaks. And my wedding ring goes flying cause it's brand new and, and <laughs> I mean, I'm all sweaty and whatever. Next thing you know, I got 40 guys on the ground searching with their hands through the grass. Like, we're all down. And I got this panic moment, like, I've, I've been married, but I'm not going to be married very long after this. And, uh, <laughs> and as you're sharing your story, it's like, that's just, that's a vulnerable moment where it's like, oh, crap, I'm in deep, deep stuff here. Yes. Yeah. And uh, did, we found the it? ring, though, and everything worked out. Good. Good, good, good.
1: Well... <clears throat> Kurt, we did. Uh, you know, I just finished your graphic, and I asked you what your your team motto, and you, you were like, "What do you mean?" And the more I go back to it, and and I love putting that word on that schedule for you, was relentless. Can you talk to us a little bit about what relentless looks like inside of Coronado?
0: Yeah, you know, that that word came to me, uh, of- and <clears> well. <throat> Obviously, it's not, my, it's not my word, but uh, I, I came across that word, I should say, back in New Hampshire. Um, it was my second or third year as the head coach of the Bedford football program, and I started to do a summer camp. And I thought, all right, what, what are we going to call this summer camp? And, and I, I chose the word relentless, and I, and I put we have it down our jerseys, across our back of our jerseys for our practice jerseys and down the spine of our T-shirts. You know, for, for, for me, you know, the, the mental image of relentless. The, the, the best image I have in my mind is if you've ever been swimming in the ocean where there's a lot of waves, and it can be a scary thing sometimes, but when you get caught in that wave or a rip current, and the wave just keeps coming and coming and coming, it's just, there's no end to it. It's like, dear God, when is this going to stop? And r- relentless, you know, what, what it looks like for us and what I'm trying to uh, instill in our young men and in our, in our coaches, it's to be relentless about. Things in our lives we're passionate about. Um, I, I, I use the example often with our young men. You know, there were a box of donuts that I brought in. You know, for, for the coaches and I, and someone came to steal that off the table from us. I asked the young men uh, just last year, said, "What do you think I would do?" And one of the young men goes, "Kill us." <laughs> I'm like, "Man, am I that do you think I'd kill you over a donut?" And they all laughed. I said, "No," I said, "I wouldn't do a thing." And they looked at me like some of them were about to stand up and go grab a donut. <laughs> so, my point is, it's a donut. I don't care that much about donuts. I said, now, completely switch it. If it was my grandson, if my grandson was sitting up here, you know, at the time he was one year old or whatever, and I said, and someone came, some stranger came to, to, to take him, what would I do? And they're like, oh, you know, so, yeah. And I said, that, I would give my life for that, you know, I would give my, there, there would be no end to what I would give, you know. And so the, the analogies of, you know, if someone cuts me off the highway, what am I going to do? You know, really nothing. Years ago, I probably would have gave them a thumbs up, but with a different finger. You know, now as I've matured, <laughs> I realize, you know what, I, I, might, I might think someone's being a jerk cut me off. That person may have, and, and it could be a jerk, but that, that person may have just gotten the worst phone call of their lives. And i am rushing to the hospital or home to get someone whatever. You know, and I, I think so often in life, we assume the worst in people. And as I try to, to model this and, and build this with our program, you know, to be relentless means you will give everything, every ounce of sweat, every ounce of blood, because it's something you are that passionate about. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's something that, you know, defensively, it's getting into the game. It's, you know, we, we want 11 and to the ball. We, we, we want people, we always talk about going to the echo of the whistle. You know, don't don't don't, every other team's gonna stop at the whistle. We're never gonna be cheap. We're never gonna be dirty. But you better go to the echo of the whistle. And I, when we take our guys to the workout, you know, like listen, it's really easy, especially as you have 40 guys, 50 guys, 70 guys, 100 guys in the program. It's really easy to cheat yourself out of a workout. If the coach says do four sets of X to 10, you know, whatever it is, it's really easy when no one's looking. Say, yeah, I did my fourth set, knowing you only did your third. I said, but sooner or later you're gonna line up across someone from another team that when their coach said did, you know, said do do four, they did five. When they said do 10 sprints, they did 11. So the relentless attitude is just, you know, giving your all. And and it's funny, I told them it it, it looks great. I love the word, but it's really, it's really without sounding too cheesy. It's a lifestyle. It's, It's, you know, when you're living a relentless way, other people can notice it. But you're the only one at the end of the day that looks yourself in the mirror and knows that today I gave it my all. Mm. This practice, no one else outworked me. Mm. Yeah. When I think about relentless, I think about coming back. So it's about tomorrow, not today. Uh, Maybe you don't have the best workout, or maybe you don't set a PR at, at this meet or at this practice or in this game. But if you come back tomorrow, that's what makes you relentless. And you really only aren't relentless if you stop coming. Yeah, exactly. And for me, a visual. I'm, I'm gonna date myself here, and uh, I still stand by this. mean, maybe I shouldn't be proud of it, but uh, one of my favorite movies still to this day is Rocky III. Huh. And in in part of that movie, one of the scenes after he loses the first time to uh, Clover Lang, as Mr. T was called, and yeah. uh, you know, I I think it was uh, Paul. He was looking at you know uh, Apollo in the corner or whatever it was, and he's getting killed. And Paul, he so he's not getting killed, he's getting mad, and he just—he's getting punched right in the jaw. Punch after punch after punch, and he keeps on saying, "You ain't so bad, you ain't so bad, you ain't so bad." And I remember that like the first time I saw in the theaters of like he's not stopping, like he's not—it doesn't matter, you know. Just for me, that—that's relentless of getting hit over and over and over again, and just just seeing no quit, just just no die in that person, and that—that's that gets me excited just talking about it. Same here. Yeah, I, I love that movie. One of my favorite lines in there, and I use it with my wrestlers a lot, is they be like, Coach Tori, what do you think about this next match? And I would go back to, you know, pain. That's what it's going to come down to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's your prediction? Pain, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, I got one more question for you. Um, and you've said this since I have known you, since I've followed you, uh, but it, you always finish everything with stay strong. And yeah. Is there meaning behind that? Obviously there's meaning behind it, but what is stay strong and what advice can you give coaches uh, or even uh, teachers as we're about to start the school year about how to stay strong and what it means to stay strong?
0: That, that's, a, that's a great question. I um, for, for me, stay strong, and I don't remember really where it came from um, a buddy of mine was busting my chops a while back. He's like, "Oh, I need a tagline." And like, "What do you mean tagline?" He's like, "You know, you're stay strong." I'm like, "Man, I never thought of it as a tagline." <laughs> um, and my wife was like, "Well, it definitely is." I'm like, "Well, I never thought of it that way." Like, for, for me, staying strong as it's evolved, it kind of goes full circle to your original question. It's all about our why. You know, when, when, when I say stay strong, I think of my one of my cousins, John, who just passed away about seven years ago. Well, he was one of the cousins you, you only see maybe twice a year, three times a year in a family get-together, but you just pick up like you were best friends. Yeah, he he was a few years older than me and just, he was, you know, grew up in Kentucky and just farm-bred, blue-collar, hard-working, just, everything about him was just a man. It was just great. And he, uh, strong faith, strong body, everything. He got into a, a car accident and uh, became a quadriplegic. And, uh, Devastating. I mean, obviously, most on he and his wife, but really shook me. And uh, fast forward a few years after his accident, he went back to college. Now, he did it online and he did it with the help of, because he, he couldn't move his hands, couldn't move his fingers, but through a little, uh, I don't know what the prosthetic, it wasn't a prosthetic, but the little tube that went up to his mouth that could help him kind of type things out. And I thought, man, that that's, talk about strength. Mm-hmm. So for me, for staying strong, it is spiritually, mentally, physically, and how, I believe, how we stay strong all goes back to our why. You know, I, I, I always, it seems like at the end of every school year, sit around a lunchroom table with other teachers, and I'm blessed to teach with some great women. You know, it's elementary school, so they always end up being, you know, women and me. <laughs> um, but uh, and usually, and sometimes it's the greatest teachers I have the most respect for, I feel defeated, like oh, you know, so and so didn't get this to this level, or they didn't get this on their testing, or they didn't get this score, you know. And I always ask them, I'm like, why are we here? And then it happened at the end of this school year, and they looked at me, I'm like, seriously, I said, why, why are we here? And I teach at a private Christian school, and they're like, well, you know, to pour into our children. To, I said, yes. I said, who cares if Johnny didn't get a whatever the number should be on the math test? I said, you know, he's a better math student now than when he came to you. You know he's a better reader now when he came to you. Or let's say he's not. Let's say you he, he didn't get him where you wanted him to be for the reading. He's a better person. You poured into him. So I, I think staying strong for us is going back to knowing our why. You know, if my strong, if my strength, and this is going to happen to all of us, I love lifting. I love, man, I love, love deadlift. And the sad reality is my deadlift is not what it was 10 years ago. It's not. You know, but God has allowed me to still work out as all. I should I always say every day. I don't work out every day. But, you know, for as long as God has me here on this earth, I'm going to keep working out. And when the day comes that I have to coach from a cane or a wheelchair or whatever it is, I'm going to stay strong as mentally and physically and spiritually as I can. It's going to look different, but it all goes back to my why. You can still empower someone when, when, when I can only squat, X number of pounds, as opposed to whatever I used to be able to do, I can still empower my young men. You know, it, it, I think it's great to have that jacked coach on the sideline and that jacked coach in the weight room with them and all that stuff. That's fantastic. But, man, some of the some of the strongest men I've ever met could barely get off the couch. You know, and, and it looked like it was painful for them to walk because they had put their bodies through hell and back. But, so when I say stay strong, it, it's, I'm talking body, mind, spirit, everything. And, you know, I, I think it goes back to, you know, what our why is. F-
1: fantastic, Kurt. Fantastic.
0: Uh, last question, I guess, or one question that I have that we ask all of our guests is, caring Trademark, Coach, um, what makes you different than other people? And I know you've said a whole lot of things here throughout our time that make you different or that make – what you do as a football coach and leader special. What's your carrying trademark, though, that you pass on so that distinguishes you from other leaders? Probably my looks. I mean, I don't think there's a sexier coach out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, we, we've seen the Twitter videos with all those views. <laughs> yeah. I right, see so you're not buying that. You know, you know what's funny? Um, I, I don't... That's a great question. I don't I don't know if I am again, not trying to I, I feel like I feel like I'm not talking arrogant, I feel like I have humility, but I'm not saying this to try to sound humble. I don't know if I really am that much different from a lot of us out there. And what I mean by that is I know, and I think it's I think with the help of social media, more and more people are realizing, hey, listen, our platform is one to change lives, not just about X's nose. So I don't think I'm a lot different. I think what's happened is, for whatever reason there's been a certain following I think we just need more coaches to step up and put stuff out there um, are you guys familiar with Inky Johnson yes yeah okay um so when I first started seeing his videos you know I, I, I forget if he played in Tennessee or where he played but a college player yeah. that had a you know was it Tennessee it was Tennessee yeah, yeah okay so you know who had the injury on the field now is a motivational speaker all stuff and And then you have, you know, all these different people who have these amazing stories. And when I started speaking and being asked to go places, Satan was working hard on me because I remember thinking to myself, who who am I? You know, who? I'm not freaking Inky Johnson. I'm not, you know, that's with the the greatest respect to Inky Johnson and other people. And then uh, a friend of mine shared something he had read from Wayne Dyer. And I shared this before. Maybe I'll share it again. I'll, I'll do a little video maybe when we're done. But uh, not my own. So I, so I can't take credit for this. But Wayne Dyer had written in a book years ago about egos. And I always thought egos were those cocky guys. The guys that thought they were or women, thought they were better than people and it's just arrogant all that horrible stuff. And he said, man, we all have egos. It's whenever we edge God out, egos. Mm. And I was really letting my ego get in the way, thinking, hey, yeah, I'm not this, I'm not that. And to make a long story short, to answer your question, I don't think I'm a lot different than other people. I'm just putting myself out there. And I think the world, once again, is overpopulated with negativity. You see it in politics. You see it in all these different things. And I think there are so many great people out there that have great passion, have great wives. We just have to start making more noise. We just have to start putting ourselves out there, and so what if only two people like my video? <laughs> if one person likes it and goes home and is a little bit different to his wife, or one person goes back to practice and reaches out to one kid that maybe isn't that good, but still needs to, needs to be poured into, um, I, I don't want to say there's nothing special about me, but I, I think that whatever makes me special as far as my passion, my heart, and I know it's there, I know I'm not alone, so I think more coaches just need to start putting it out there. And uh, there was a gentleman the other day that put uh, – I forget the coach's name – that said – he did a video. And he goes, <laughs> he goes I'm, I'm going to take a, a page out of Coach Hines' book and do a video here. And he tagged me in it. And I loved it, and I sent him a private message. But, you know, it, 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 I'm not the first coach to do videos <laughs> by, by any means, and I won't be the last. I just think the more, the more noise we make as coaches that are passionate – about changing
1: lives, the better we're all going to be. That's so true. I, I, and you hit the nail on the head when you said there's so much negativity in the world. I mean, you see it everywhere. On the, I mean, you turn on the TV, it's something bad. Um, so I think it's, it's a breath of fresh air, um, whether it's something we're posting on our social media pages or somebody else gets a hunch and they're like, you know, they're going to take a page out of your book uh, and say, I'm going to post something that's inspiring, or, or Britt Gusmas, I think, is starting to post stuff now, like a, uh, a motivational yep. thing every day. You know, he, just being able to use social media and a platform for good, not just to point out people's flaws, um, I think that goes a long way. So bravo to that. I, I'm, I'm totally on board.
0: Yeah, and I'd, yeah. I'd say your carrying trademark, then, is about connecting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's, it's it's funny too. And I, and I know we're going to wrap up soon, but Brick uh, Gusman actually reached out to me. I was very humbled about it. Man, probably about four months ago, six months ago, sent me a private message and said like Hey, h- h- how do you get your videos out there? How do you do this, Matt? And, and I really felt like an idiot because I said to him, I was like, and I was very happy to connect with him. He's a great, great man. Um, but I said I, I wish there was some secret or some you know, formula. It's just be yourself. Just be authentic. And you see that in his videos. He, he just—he has a love for the Lord. He has a love for empowering people. And it's just I think we need more of that because there's always going to be darkness in the world. There's always going to be people that only see football for a game and for a sport to, to, to put rings in their fingers and say it's about the kids, but behind closed doors to, to be a transactional coach and not really pour into them. Yep. So the more that we can... We can get out there and empower people. I think it's it's going to spread like wildfire.
1: Well, Kurt, man, thank you for uh, for joining us uh, in the classroom today. It's been a joy having you on. Uh, I appreciate you guys. You got you
0: guys are a blessing for what what you're doing. You know, I, I say for our sport, but for, for, without getting too preachy, for for mankind, seriously, I mean, you guys are amazing. So I appreciate you both.
1: Well, I, I appreciate the influence that you've had uh, on me. In my coaching journey, uh, when we first connected, uh, I knew you were a guy that that stood out and wasn't afraid to stand out for what he believed, and that empowered me to find out where my why was and what my why is every day when I come to school, whether it's going home, being with my wife, being with my kids. um, It's just knowing your why helps you and pushes you and fires you up every day.
0: Amen. Well, Thank you. Thank you for being a positive influence in a game that doesn't always have a lot of positives, uh, or where we tend to focus on the negatives. So, thank you for your positivity and what you're doing to build other people up. We, I appreciate it. Well, I'm blessed to connect with you guys, and I look forward to uh, all of our futures. Stay strong. See you guys.
1: Culture Classroom is supported by Laws And Learning, a nonprofit run by educators for educators, with a mission to engage students, empower teachers, and transform schools. Through professional development conferences focusing on active learning, practical resources, and reflective teaching, including fishbowl classrooms, and a unique teacher-to-teacher consulting program, Lausanne Learning is providing the authentic professional development your school needs. Visit them at lausannelearning.com today to find one of their active learning conferences near you and to learn more about changing education from the ground up.